All right, Alexander, we have uh, protests in France, big protests in France, and uh, justified protests, if you ask me, because it looks like Macron, out of fear of uh, putting this uh, pension reform bill to, to Parliament for a vote, fear that it might not pass, he decided to bypass the Parliament vote along with uh, his prime minister, and they enacted some sort of... Uh, of uh, I don't want to say loophole, but they found something in in the French uh, um, constitution which allows them to to bypass Parliament and just to enact this law just straight through without the approval of of the people, and uh, everyone is very upset about this in France. But um, Macron he did it, and I think he's going to to pay a very very heavy political price for this. But uh, protests now. He's going to have to deal with the protests. Absolutely. This is an extraordinary move by Macron, but I have to say also one very much in character. I mean, he's never been one who's found it easy to cope with opposition. He's always had, as I said, this sort of autocratic approach. And, you know, we see it, we see it happen. Now, he was going to lose the vote in the parliament. His party lost its majority in the parliament in the legislative elections last year. He's very frustrated, apparently, by that. We were talking a few weeks ago about how there were rumours that he's actually thinking of resigning and might resign if he can't ram this pension reform through. Pension reforms are unpopular. They always are in every country. You remember a couple of years ago, we were talking about the pension reform in Russia and that brought down Putin's popularity there. I'm not saying anything about this French pension reform, whether it's good or bad. It's just that it is extremely unpopular. And for a president of France to bypass parliament, to ignore the National Assembly of the French people, elected by the French people, over an issue as important to the people, to people in France as this one is, well, that is playing with dynamite. Now, it's the sort of thing that Macron does do. As I said, he wants to show that he's, you know, the all-powerful king, emperor of France. Uh, um, it also, I know I have to say this, it looks to me very much like a last desperate throw of a president who senses that he's going down. It's, he knows he's going, he knew he would lose this vote. If the vote went against him in the parliament, the, friend, the pension reform would be, um, you know, would be shot under the waterline. It would sink. His authority as president on domestic policy would disappear. He'd look like a lame duck. It's his last attempt to assert himself, to show that he's still in charge in France. So he's done this thing. I, it's a completely inappropriate thing to do. I don't think this provision in the French Constitution was intended to be used to, be, to ram through a reform of this complexity and, this, uh, uh, con uh, and as controversial as this in the way that Macron has done, but he's used it. Now, there's various possibilities. There's talk of a vote of no confidence in his government, which may come. 
There's talk about fresh parliamentary elections, which, given how angry people are, could result in an even smaller, you know, a bigger majority, an anti-Macron majority in the National Assembly. There's talk of a referendum, the, the parliament forcing through some kind of a referendum on this pension reform. And there's talk of a legal challenge. There's all kinds of things. And, of course, there's protests in the streets and all of those things. If any one of these things happen and Macron loses... It seems to me that his authority is not just shot below the waterline, but I think demands at that point on him to go will probably increase. People will say that he did this extremely authoritarian, autocratic, anti-democratic thing, trying to ram through a controversial, unpopular reform on the people of France, and that he's really not the right person, therefore, to remain president. And I think you see demands for him to go. And I do wonder whether at some level that might even be what he wants. If he's really looking for a way out, provoke some kind of a crisis like this one. And if he loses, and perhaps he might lose, he is able to depart the scene. You say, I did my best to reform France and the forces against me were too great, but I've established myself as the great reformer, and you know, next time I'll come back with a sweeping mandate for change. And of course, if on the contrary, his gamble succeeds, he can come and say, he, he can come and say, look, in spite of all the opposition, I've prevailed, I'm still the emperor, if you like, and I'm still the ruler of France. So you can see why, for a person of Macron's vanity uh, and a man who dislikes the kind of horse trading that politics involved, you can see the attractions that there might be in going for broke in the way that he's just done. I was just going to say that I think that, uh, that this is Macron's way of, of retiring, of getting out of the, the presidency and moving on to some sort of um, Atlantic Collective West institution or something like that. Because you only go after pension reforms when you have the political capital to spend. Because you know that you're going to get knocked down a good five or ten points in your popularity. I mean, it's a given. No matter what the pension reform is, no matter how light or how severe it is, it's unpopular your your uh, your approval ratings are going to get knocked down, and you only do these things when you have the the high approval rating to spend, which is what Putin did when uh, when he decided to to go after the pension reforms. He understood that he had a very high popularity, and if he lost five or ten points on the popularity, so be it. He goes from eighty five to seventy five. I don't know what the numbers were, but I'm just I'm just saying. Macron is at like. 20, 15, 10, I don't know. I mean, no, how no. much how much lower can you go? So to me, I don't know. I think this is this is Macron's way. Maybe he knows it. Maybe yeah. he doesn't know it, but he's he's just doing it deep down inside. He doesn't want to admit it, but maybe this is his way of saying, I can get out of this now. So you know what? If they if if things things don't work out with the pension reform, it's like you said, I can just, you know, go to the 
to the French people and say, I tried, I'm out. Now I can get appointed NATO secretary general or IMF chief or whatever. You know, he can move on to the next globalist thing. I don't know. I mean, that's how, this is what you I don't believe. go after pension reform when no, your approvals in are in way. the dump. <laughs> no, just don't not, do it. not in the dump. And you don't try and, and impose them in this way. I mean, th- this is what I believe. That, as I said, it's his way of going out in a bang, um, showing to his smart friends in the West, in America, in Brussels. Look, you see, I'm not going to be pushed around by these people that stood up to them. I couldn't prevail because, you know, the French don't understand my genius. But you do. So, you know, you can make me Secretary General of NATO, President of the European Central Bank, Secretary General of the United Nations, or you can put me in charge of UNESCO. You can do one of these nice things. And you can see, you know, this is my reward for fighting your corner for you in this way. And if just, just possibly by chance you pull it off, which I don't think you will, by the way, then you can also come back and say, look, I'm still the emperor in France, and when my term ends, you can give me all those nice positions because I ran through against the united opposition of the French people and all their elected representatives, this deeply unpopular reform which shows what a tough person I actually am. So, you know, you, you, you could see how, as I say, you could see the attraction for him. Meanwhile, what it does to France, however is very bad. And I think we need to understand that. I mean, you know, there's Macron. We can talk about Macron. We can talk about the pluses and minuses of the pension reform, which I'm not going to, by the way, because I don't know. I mean, probably French pensions do need to be reformed. But ramming them through in this way, all it's going to do is going to make many, many people in France very, very angry It's going to create more instability. There's already been strikes. There's already been protests. There's already been, uh, uh, um, you know, lots of unrest across France. It's going to make that even worse, even greater. If it succeeds, it's going to make people even more sullen and even more angry. And, of course, if it fails, it will result in a political crisis that Macron can walk away from but which the French people will be stuck with. So, I, you know, I, I have to say, it's Macron preserving his image, positioning himself for the next plum post, gambling with his position as president of France, but at the risk of destabilising his own country. I mean, utterly irresponsible to my way of thinking, and shows what a elitist individual he is because he's not really interested or engaged with the French people doesn't understand them I don't think he likes them very much well I think this is a trend in Europe now because mm. you know you look at leaders like Macron or you look at leaders like uh, Mark Rutte in the Netherlands and he just lost a big vote to uh, to the farmers' uh, citizen movement, the BBC and the upper Senate. A shocking, a shocking result, but he lost. He lost that one, and he lost it because he doesn't really care about the people in the Netherlands. He wanted to pass through this, this agenda, this climate agenda, 
that the globalists and the EU are forcing him to do. And it just seems like when you look at these leaders, they've gotten to a point, the Macrons, the Rutes, all these guys, they've gotten to a point where in a way they're almost, I don't want to say they're admitting, they're signaling that, you know what, we really don't care about the people in the Netherlands or the people in France. It's not our priority. Our priority is to please the globalist institutions. And so if our priority is, is to please the globalist institutions, why do I want to be president of France or prime minister of the Netherlands? Wouldn't it be better if I just get appointed in one of these positions? At the end of the day, this is where the power is. This is where the centralization is happening. What, what am I going to do being, being a president, which is just kind of a de facto governor of an EU member state? You know, where's the power in that? I think I think you're starting to see a lot of leaders in Europe starting to to move in this direction where they're saying, you know, being a president or prime minister of an EU member state, that's that's not where all the money and power is. I gotta figure out a way to get to to, to Brussels and to EU headquarters or to the UN or the WHO or whatever, no. the IMF. Uh, and to do that, you know, you follow the policy that, you know, these institutions want you to and if your people don't like it well that's their problem because ultimately you're not answerable to the people of your own country anymore as democratic politicians are you're answerable to the apparatus of which you want to become a part that is exactly what is happening i mean go back to annalena baerbock what did she say in Prague all those weeks ago? I don't care whether people protest or, you know, in Germany, if the people in Germany are unhappy because of my sanctions policy, I'm going to persist with it no matter what. It does, I don't care what people think. This is what I am going to do. She knows perfectly well that in the bureaucracies in Brussels, the NATO and EU bureaucracies, that is what they want to hear. It's an affirmation, if you like, of their loyalty, of her loyalty to them. And that's exactly the sentiment that all of these people have. With, with as I said, the people in Brussels, the stance that Macron is taking, it's going to please them. It's going to prove to them how reliable he is, how loyal he is, how... You know, he is prepared to show two fingers to his own people because he's pursuing, conducting the orthodox policy line, which is that you always raise the pension age. You may, may be right. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not saying you're not. But, you know, that's, that's what this is now all about. And it's reproducing itself in every part of, um, well, the collective West, because, of course, you have... Similar, uh, similar problems in every part. You have it in Britain, even though we've left the EU. You have it in the United States to a great degree. And you can be absolutely sure that the media will be mobilised to support Macron. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, they will be saying, you know, this reform is necessary. He's shown great courage in doing what he has. And you can already read the headlines and the articles and the commentators telling us all of these things so this is this is yeah. exactly it's exactly what you how you describe it that is the reality of politics in europe today not just in europe as i said right across the collective west as i said we no longer function as the kind of democracies that we were these people instead conceive of themselves as apparatchiks 
party secretaries, if you like, party obcom first secretaries, to use the Soviet uh, um, terminology, who are responsible, ultimately, to the centre. <laughs> and that's, that's how they will continue. Yeah, that's why they fall all over themselves to go visit uh, Alensky in Kiev. It's not it's not that they care about Ukraine or they like uh, Alensky. Alensky is the avatar of of the neoliberal globalism and and they have to go and bow down towards towards Alensky in Kiev. It's symbolic. It's it's them going there to show that they're team players, they're loyal to to the globalist ideology. And and you do that by going to Kiev and promising weapons to Ukraine and and uh, and meeting with with Zelensky and saying for as long as it takes and you know we're going to be victorious. It's all symbolic. It's all part of this 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 new ideology religion that the collective West uh, leadership is uh, is all subscribed to. That's why they do it. And I was thinking about, for example, Estonia. Kaya Kallas, the prime minister. She was talking all of this smack against Russia and the Russian people and what they're going to do to Russia and uh, how they're going to uh, reprogram the Russian people. And then when she was talking about all this stuff during the Munich Security Conference, right after the, the conference, you get reports that uh, she's a front runner to be the NATO uh, secretary general. And, and I, I just sat there. I said, that's. She doesn't care about the people of Estonia. She's she's auditioning for the part, just like Bearbox auditioning for the part, just like Ruta has been been auditioning for the part, and Macron, and they're all they're all trying to say, look, 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 what I will do for for the position of EU commissioner. Look what I'll do so I can get to to run the ECB or wherever they're they're going to stick them. Exactly. That's exactly what that's exactly what this is all about. But as I said, coming back to what. The practical effects, as I said, it, it leaves France in turmoil. It's impossible to see how this is going to end well for France. I mean, you know, it may be that this reform is needed. I'm not saying it's not, by the way. But it, ramming it through in this way, if it succeeds, it's going to demoralise and anger people even more and alienate them further from the political system. You remember that referendum in France rejecting the EU constitution? Did they get the EU constitution nonetheless? It's now called, you know, the, uh, I can't remember what treaty, but it's just given the Lisbon Treaty. It's going to be another example of that. And, of course, if it fails, you have a political crisis. And how is that good for France? You don't care about France. You move on, and that is, in effect, what the political class has become. They've become parasitic on the people they govern. Yeah, but that's the dilemma that we've talked about for such a long time with the European Union. It's you, the whole, the whole uh, goal of the EU, the motivation of the EU is to strengthen the core, to strengthen the center at the expense of the member states and the periphery. But the periphery crashes, the member states crash. And where does that leave the center? But but everything is is being drawn towards the center and and it's weakening the member states but without the member states you don't have a center this, this is the dilemma that the EU always finds itself in they had merkel for so many years who skillfully managed this she kicked the can down the road and and uh, and she did many things that, that I don't approve of but but she managed to keep the system afloat yes, yes. now i think well, it's, it's just it's just going to start to crumble 
Well, it, it's killing the host, isn't it? The parasite is killing the host because that's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to take, it may take time. It may have disastrous effects. And, of course, the longer it takes, the more disastrous those effects will be and the more debilitating it will be. But look at the European Union already. The countries that make up what the former, the former European economic community, which is smaller, much smaller territorially, than the EU. It was it in 1980, it accounted for, was it 30 plus percent of world GDP? The EU today accounts for something like 12 percent. It's a diminishing force. It's becoming a marginal economic player. It's stagnating. It's economically stagnating. It's got higher inflation more than countries. Russia does. Exactly, more countries, because of high inflation than Russia does. Its, industri its industries are closing down. Its people, you know, are struggling. And the EU leadership isn't interested in that because they're interested in the power games at the centre. And this is very, very bad. But you're absolutely right. It is killing the host. And the longer it takes, the more um, damage will be done. But eventually, as you absolutely rightly say, imply, I mean, this is unsustainable. At some point, it will break down. It is inevitable. It can't continue like this indefinitely. It never does. Yeah. It expanded and got weaker. Yeah. It expanded. It's, it's a business that, 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 yeah, it's a business that expands, <laughs> but it makes less, less money. It, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's not working. Yes, but you see, expansion has made centralization much easier and that's been one of the one of the one of the reasons it's happened so it's it 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 strengthened the center at the expense of the states but it's also made the entire system much more unwieldy which of course benefits the people in the center because the more complex and intricate the bureaucracy at the center is, the more jobs there are, the more powerful in some ways the bureaucracy becomes. I mean, after all, they're now, you know, wanting to decide um, about, you know, judicial appointments in Poland. They're telling, uh, um, they're telling um, airlines which countries they can fly over and which they can't. I <laughs> mean, they're doing all of that kind of thing. So, um, so that's how it works. It makes it m the centre more powerful, everyone else weaker, until eventually, as I said, it all collapses. Collapses. All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. TheDuran.Locals.com. We are on Rumble. We're on Rockfin, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to the Durant shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.